Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Forgotten Football Club's podcast. My name is Rory Bryce, your host, as per usual, and I'm joined once again by the author of the book, Phil O'Rourke. Phil, how's it going? What's up, Rory? All good. Um, looking forward to this episode where we're, I suppose you could say we're double French, isn't it? <laughs> My God. <laughs> I know, we thought that was it. started already. Phrase that are coined there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, no, it's it's been an episode we've we've kind of had in the back burner for a while now. Um, been quite difficult to to research it in some ways, I would argue, and, and a bit difficult to speak to people about it, which is something we're going to touch on to as well. But before we get into all that, how how have things been with you, Phil? You've been going to any games? How's life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, no, all good. Haven't haven't been able to go to any games because been working. Uh, obviously, uh, keep an eye on Pat's title run there. Hopefully, I'll get to a few games before the end of the season. I think there's about seven games left. And, of course, I'm off to Milan in two weeks' time. Still waiting to get them tickets. Uh, for whatever reason, they're not on general sale. They're supposed to be on general sale today, uh, but I haven't got them. But uh, I do have tickets for um, Monza against Lecce on the Sunday. So, uh, hopefully, if I don't get the Milan tickets on the Saturday, I'll hopefully, I might even pop down to Genoa and Napoli and uh, watch that game. So, I will be... We'll be uh, going to a few continental football games in the future. I was going to say it's very, um, very classy, very exotic. Um, going from St. Pat's to Milan and uh, Monza and everyone else, so <laughs> that's not too bad. Uh, no, it's good to hear that things are going okay. Otherwise, um, I mean, I've been the exact same. Unfortunately, I was working last weekend, so I didn't get the chance to, um, to go to the Celtic game. Likewise, because they, they normally land in the same days or are busy weekends. I uh, wasn't able to go to the Atlantic United game or anything like that. So it's, it's been a while since I've been to a match, but hopefully um be able to go to one again soon just when the schedule releases up. It's that time of year, you know, coming off the back of summer when everything starts getting really busy again and, um you know, people are, are, are wanting to do stuff before they go back to work and finish the holidays. It just always seems to be that this time, time of year is really, really rammed and I can never really put my finger on why. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, it's a long time since I went back to school, but uh, you, you notice the shops and stuff like that here in Ireland. Uh, suddenly, all the school uniforms, the school bags, everybody's on the buses are are fuller. Um, yeah, it's definitely that time uh, of year. But it's also the time where leagues are starting back up. Uh, the football is in huge flow now. Obviously, League of Ireland was was keep me interested during the summer, but um, we have all the major leagues, uh, the Champions League draws being done. Um, yeah. And yeah, I suppose it's it's good as any to really uh, deep dive into this nation that we're we're about to talk about. Yeah, absolutely, big nation. Um, one of the big five. They're one of the big five, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they are. Yeah, they always always get mixed up between them and and um and Portugal. But it's a nation that we actually haven't really touched on in any of our other episodes as of yet, and and I suppose we will come on to to cover that as well. Like I said, but we are going to be going into France. We're going to be covering Excelsior AC or Excelsior, Ruby AC, whatever one you want to call it, and uh, Cali RUFC as well. Two clubs from France. Um, one which I suppose properly dissolved and stopped being a club. Ooh, time to put my math skills to good use. But 18 years ago? More yeah. than 18 years ago, about 28 years. Yeah, 28 years ago. 28 years ago, um, they would have finally went defunct. And the other, which was more recent, uh, they went under in around 2017. So we're going to start off with Excelsior AC, uh, and then we're going to move on to Cali. So Phil, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about the history of Excelsior. 
Yeah, so Excelsior AC, uh, interesting enough club. Um, probably not the most well-known club uh, that went to funk from France. Uh, people have often said, why, why did you pick them? Um, I just picked them out because their name is quite interesting. Uh, there's a few Excelsiors around Europe. Um, I think there's an Excelsior Rotterdam, Rotterdam uh, yeah, in Holland. I think there's one in Germany, I believe. Um, so there are quite a few. Um, so this is the French uh, Excelsior, if you like. Uh, they were founded in 1928, so, uh, you know, qu quite an old club uh, from a merger uh, between Football Club de Roubaix and Excelsior de Tourgoing. So Excelsior elected club de Roubaix adopted the colours uh, black and white. So basically these two clubs put their names together and came up with, with the name uh, Excelsior elected club de Roubaix. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. My French is usually okay, though. I, I don't French in skills, so we mightn't yeah. be as bad today here butchering uh, this language. And saying that, the French are quite particular with the language. So, um, well, this is the thing. So, I mean, I, I was just, when you mentioned the mergers, their mergers become quite a theme of this club. Um, mergers, name changes, um, you know, things that are happening within the club that, that, that kind of change what they're about. It's quite a theme, isn't it? Yeah, definitely with this club here. Um, I mean, it's not as bad as the last episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. And not as bad as other clubs that we will be covering. Um, mm. But they played uh, in uh, the city of Roubaix um, in, a in the Stade Amadie Provost. I think that's how you pronounce it. Nice, uh, that was good going. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, well, I think I've done pretty well there. Um, I mean, they didn't turn professional. So they started off as an amateur club. Uh, they didn't turn professional until 1932-33 season, in which they uh, finished sixth out of the ten clubs in Group A of the French Division 1. Uh, so, obviously, modern times, uh, Liga 1, Liga 2 and all, that obviously wasn't the case back then. There was kind of regionalised uh, in France and stuff like that. So there was Group 1 yeah. in, say, Northwest, then you have the Northeast, then you obviously have South, all that kind of stuff, because, as we know, France is quite a big nation uh, geographically. Yeah. So yeah. Um, they competed in uh, Group A of French Division 1, uh, finished 6 out of 10 clubs, which is all right, I suppose. But uh, it wasn't their league form that caught the eye that season. And, um, I mean, we're actually getting straight into it here because this is only uh, the only trophy or major trophy that they actually ever won in their history. Um, and it was quite early on in 1933. So it was literally the first season of professionalism. They won uh, their the first trophy. So you would think they would uh, go on from that, um, but they didn't. Um, but anyway... Uh, it was a run in the 1933 edition of the Coupe de France that gained the club recognition. So the Coupe de France, um, obviously, is the French version uh, domestic cup, uh, as we, as football it's fans will know. Huge, huge um, competition, and I think my favourite part about the Coupe de France is that it involves teams at every level. Yeah, or down to to a certain level. I know the the Scottish Cup kind of does that, but then they have like the Scottish Cup preliminary rounds and the qualifying and all that kind of stuff. The Coupe de France is just every year. And you see it, I think the Sweeper talk about it a lot, the Sweeper podcast. Mm. You get these teams that are away in some of the French islands out in the yeah. Pacific Ocean or South America playing some of the big teams and, and things. It's really, really great. I love the Coup de France. Huge competition. Yeah, yeah. You get them over in like the Pacific and, and stuff like that, wherever French territories are, like um, and they're like 5,000 miles away and these mad stories. The thing about the Coup de France is, and without spoiling any of these kind of stories, um is there's, there's always an element of anybody can win it. 
even up to kind of modern times, there's always been a real underdog. So a, a kind of non-league or a lower league side has, has gotten to the final and really given it a go against the big teams. Whereas, you know, the FA Cup, uh, no disrespect for it, like the FA Cup or, or the, S, the, the SPL or the Scottish Cup, sorry, um, yeah. and, and even bigger cups like the the, the Polski, um, uh, the, the Copa, uh, the Italia, all them sort of, you know, you get the same sort of teams, you know, you, you Juventus, Bayern Munich, Celtic, Rangers, um, you know, Man City, Liverpool's, you know. But the Coupe de France is more open, I think. Especially my research, I've looked at it, it's it's way more open. Now, don't get me wrong, you still get your PSGs and Leons and, and all that still winning it. I was going to say, yeah, it's still, I, I get what you're saying, that it can be a lot more open. I feel like the from maybe the quarterfinals to the finals, there's, there's quite a lot of teams. The teams are, aren't the same every year. I get where you're coming from. Um, but it's the always quality, kind of the quality of the team as well, I'm kind of thinking. So, for example, if you take the FA Cup, you're not going to get, say, somebody like Salford getting to the FA Cup final. It's not going to happen. Whereas in the Coupe de France, you do get these the lower league sides, which we'll, we'll, we'll get onto uh, in our next um, club that we're covering, that kind of do get to the final and stuff like that. And it's, it's these kind of underdog fairy tale stories kind of happen. Like yeah. people talk about the magic of the cup. Um, the magic of the cup in England is if a team wins in the third round, and uh, the magic of the cup in the Coupe de France is literally these teams getting to the final, and uh, it's literally you know an actual fairy tale story. But, yeah. um, back to Excelsior, anyway, that's just the Coupe de France, that's my opinion on it. People obviously will know a lot about it. Um, French football fans will probably know more about it. They might argue and say I'm wrong, but in my research, that's kind of what I got. Yeah, no, it's, you're, you're right. It's a great trophy. Um, really, really enjoyable watch, especially when it's in the, the kind of early rounds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what was special about this one was is that they were actually managed by a, an English manager, uh, Excelsior, um, when they got to the, to the final of uh, the Coupe de France. Uh, do you want to hazard a guess who it was? Back in oh, 1993. Uh, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> no idea, I'm afraid. Well, actually, he, he could be famous. Uh, I mean, a lot of people might know him because he did manage uh, Belgium, France, or he, bel- he coached, sorry, in Belgium, in France, in the Netherlands, and in Germany throughout his whole career. So he's a well-traveled man, and I would imagine a lot of English football scholars might know this name. Charles Griffiths. Now, I feel like the name rings a bell. It'll probably mean a lot more to other people than it will to me. Well, he actually even managed Bayern Munich. In 1911, 1912. Um, very well and, um, yeah, it sounds like a very famous and very, very important manager for the time. Absolutely. Yeah, he managed the Belgian national team in 1920 as well. So I'd imagine he's a big name. Charles, Charles Griffin. It's probably somebody that we may look into uh, a little bit more. Uh, maybe a forgotten oh, uh, name in football there. Well, you keep going. I'll have a quick look and see yeah. what I can find. Anyway, uh, Excelsior's opponents um, in the final were actual City rivals, RC Rubel. So it was an actual bit of a derby uh, in the final when they got there. Um, and the intensity of the game was a little bit heightened, as you can imagine. So it's like a well, Celtic Rangers final, uh, Man City, Man United final. You know, it, it's like anything, you know, City rivals in a cup final. There's always going to be that little bit of an edge. Um, so it's the 7th of May, 1933, and 38,000 people attended it. So... I mean, French football was obviously well followed back in the 30s. Um, so it wasn't, you know, something, you know, that was just fledgling um, or just kind of starting off. It was it was quite, quite popular. 
um, as we know. Um, and it was played at the Stadio Olympic Eve de Manor. Um, and basically the two sides uh, took part in it to lift the famous trophy to Coupe de France. Um, it took only three minutes for the deadlock to be broken when Excelsior's Marcel Langeler, and uh, now I could pronounce that wrong, it could have a, a bit of a French twang on it. Um, he scored. Uh, he was the captain of Excelsior, uh, Excelsior that day, and he was a man who made 30 appearances for the French national team uh, between 1927 and 37. So, again, you're seeing big names, I suppose, in French football in the 30s, or even in general in football in the 30s, being associated with Excelsior, AC Roubaix. And now you're probably seeing why I've actually included them in this book, because while they might be a forgotten football club nowadays, 1930s, I would imagine around Europe, they would have been a well-known name. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, Just on Charles Griffiths, Obviously, I've just had a quick look at Wikipedia, don't get me wrong, but um, it's not listed when he was born, which is a bit strange. I'm sure that'll be out there somewhere and it's maybe just not been listed. But he passed away in 1936. He, during his playing career, played mainly in England. And obviously, for the time, a lot of these teams would have been up and coming. They still would have been very big. But now, there's some of the biggest names that are in the English Football League. So... <laughs> with the exception of the first few he played for Oswestry Olympics Chirk, Oswestry United St Helens Town, Barnsley Luton, Coventry, Barrow, Preston Lincoln, Wellington and Wrexham so he is very very well travelled, bit of a journeyman actually um, loads and loads of teams in there, obviously for the time it was quite common for players to move around quite a lot and we know that but it's still very very impressive to see, uh, especially given in England the, the, the professionalism had that at that point had been in for quite some time, but it was really starting to take off and the leagues were beginning to get organized. So it was obviously well thought of. Now, in terms of his managerial career, he started managing in 1910. He started managing uh, Karlsruher FV, Bayern Munich, then Stuttgarter Kickers. I think are another forgotten club, maybe. Mm-hmm. Stuttgarter mm-hmm. Kickers, that name rings a bell. Yeah. Uh, no, they're still around. Sorry. <laughs> name. I'm saying the city of against us now. Uh, but as you said, he also managed Belgium. Uh, Belgium, sorry. He managed Vitesse Arnhem. Uh, he managed Be Quick, 1887. Then he moved to uh, Union Sangawa, or USG, from Belgium as well. He managed Lille, France Olympic, Bersham Sport, obviously Excelsior, AC Roubaix. And then he went back to Union Sangawa. He managed there until 1935 and then passed away a year later. So... There seems like there's quite an interesting story there around mm. this guy. I'd quite like to know a bit more about him, you know, just how he managed up until the year before his death. Did something happen? Um, was it a, a, an illness, a quick out? You know, it sounds like a really interesting guy and, and a very, very important player and manager for the time period. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something definitely that we'll look into. Maybe even uh, get Chris, uh, which we'll talk about later on, um, maybe to do a little uh, little segment on the YouTube channel. Um yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely doable. But um, Charles Griffith, uh, if anybody has any more to share about him, uh, do let us know. Uh, obviously, right on Twitter or something like that. Um, we'll definitely uh, do more research on him. But um, in this game, as I said, they went 1-0 up quite early doors. Um, and then they doubled their lead in the 23rd minute when a player called uh, Bouge scored. Um, or Bouge. Maybe B-U-G-E is how you spell it. Um, and then the trophy seemed to be won in only the 26th minute when they trebled their uh, lead and went 3-0 up with a, a player called Van Kenningham 
uh, scored the third to put Excelsior three up, uh, and basically they're in the driving seat at half time. Uh, you imagine being training up in a cup final against you know your city rivals. Uh, I'd imagine the fans were quite pleased uh, about that. Mm, I'd imagine the players would have been as well, been going nuts. Um, you know, you see the odd bit of footage from uh, crowds from the sixties and seventies, and the even less so. But you see the odd bit of footage from earlier than that as well, and they look busy, but not necessarily nuts. You know, the the they they look quite uh, in some cases well behaved. There are reports of some fans getting a bit rowdy and and things like that, but not to the extent of the hooliganism from the seventies and eighties. But um, you can still imagine in the thirties if if you know you're you're absolutely romping to a victory. Uh, against your city rivals and there's going to be some amount of celebrations going on. Yeah, big time, man. Front of 38,000. And let's remember, this is the fourth season they've gone professional. Um, so the second half came, um, you know, uh, RC came back. They pulled one back in the second half, thanks to a goal from Van Vuren uh, in the 72nd. Uh, a lot of fans in this in this uh, um, game. Uh, I'm wondering if the Dutch had a, a bit of an influence. But um, the damage had been done. Excelsior went on to win uh, the game 3-1. Um, as I said, in the fourth season of professional club, they win uh, a major, major, trophy um, so you could be forgiven to think or they could have been forgiven to think that you know football was an easy sport that they were going to go on and dominate French football uh, unfortunately that's not how it went and I mean this is one of the shortest chapters in the book despite them uh, being founded in 1928 um, they kind of went into a bit of a they were brought back down to earth in the next season, finishing fifth in now a 14-club league. So um, it was one place better than the year before, but they failed to lift the Coupe de France that season, um, obviously getting knocked out in the early stages. Uh, the club remained in the first division until after World War II, when they decided to merge with two other clubs, U.S. Tour, touring, or tour, tour going, I think that's what they're called, um, and R.C. Roubaix. Um, RC Roubaix, the club that they beat in the final, of course. Um, so the new club was to be known as CO Roubaix Tourgoing. <laughs> so they've now amalgamated three clubs together to come up with this one club. Um, they struggled to make any impression in French football and reverted back to their old name, Excelsior Athletic Club de Roubaix in 1970. So... I mean, they were just a, a mid-table club, never done anything, didn't win the cup again, didn't challenge for the title, didn't get relegated, they didn't do anything, really. It's, we've seen we've seen it before, and not just in other weeks around Europe. Remember when we spoke with uh, Benz on our episode about mm. Racing Club Luxembourg and, and Luxembourgish football in general? Remember what he said, that a lot of teams, especially City Rivals, in fact, not exclusively, but very, very specifically, clubs in the same cities would often merge so that they could have a better chance of success. Um, now I know it's it's not a million miles away from France. It might have been the the, the football and culture of the time. I know not a lot of teams from our parts of the world have done it, uh, but it certainly seems like it was it was quite common in that part of Europe and uh, Western Europe, if you like, uh, for teams to do that. And and obviously Excelsior had their fair share of mergers as well. But we saw it with Lesia Polonia as well when we covered that last week. So um, definitely something that happens quite often. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they, uh, as I said, they went back to Excelsior Athletic Club, the Roubaix, in 1970. But what they also did was they turned back to amateur 
uh, level and they actually dropped down the leagues and played in the lower leagues um, continuing on um, in, that was for seven years then in 1977 uh, they decided to merge with another club again in an effort to drum up support and try reach the top flight of French football so they, they did have ambitions to get there yeah. but their plans were you know to merge with other clubs to kind of two two heads are better than one instead of trying to do it themselves Um. They merged with a club called uh, Sporting Club de Roubaix, um, who they joined forces with. And the new name of the football club was Roubaix Football, uh, as simple as that. Uh, they did have a very brief revival, competing in the 1983-84 Division 2. So uh, that was League 2, basically. Um, but they were never able to get back to the dizzy heights of Division 1, um, unfortunately. Uh, the struggles continued on the uh, and the football club were looking for another merger to fix their problems. Um, this time turning to Stade Roubaix, formerly known as RC Roubaix. Um, again, that's the club that they they beat in the in the final. Which so it seems like they had a bit of a love hate with this uh, other club, RC Roubaix. Um, and in nineteen ninety, they merged to form a new club named Stade Club Olympique de Roubaix. Uh, sadly, once again, the merger didn't work. Uh, and the club dissolved in 1995 due to financial problems. Uh, however, people may say that the end of the club was actually back in 1977. Uh, you know, 1977 was when they then started merging and doing all this kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a bit of, um, I suppose there's a little bit of debate around that, whether or not you can see them ending. It depends, it depends whether you think the end of a club comes when they change name or whether the end of a club comes when that club that's been on a string of names eventually comes defunct. Neither opinion is right or wrong. Both of them, in my opinion, are fine. Um, either way, the same thing happens. It just is for different reasons. Mm. Uh, for example, like we discussed last week, if a club exists for 20 years and then changes its name and colours to something completely different, uh, something drastically different than what it was before, and that's a big change. It's changing the identity of the club. It's changing the identity of the fans. And therefore, that is a big enough change to justify it as a lost club. And obviously, it speaks for itself as a club goes bankrupt and, and has, to, has to fold. So um, it's one of those things where there can be a little bit of debate around it. But, you know, neither is right or wrong. Obviously, if you're a fan of that club, you're going to say otherwise. And, and I understand that. Mm, yeah, yeah. But indefinitely, 1995... Excelsior did uh, cease to exist altogether. They gave up the ghost. Um, I mean, it's it's a shame because, as I said, their first professional season, 1933, they win, you know, the Coupe de France and 38,000 people going to watch it. And you'd imagine there was a bit of a buzz in the city and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Obviously, RC Roubaix were also half decent. They got to the final as well. So the city of Roubaix must have thought they had, you know, a bit of a football and, you know, Pull a strong pool of footballers, or or you know, a strong footballing city at the time, but it all well, just the thing. So I mean, Ruby just lies on the on the just next to the border with uh, Belgium. Oh, yeah, um, just next to it, but it looks like it's also more or less connected to the city of Lille. Mm. So I wonder if you know if Lille were becoming more successful at the time. Maybe you know this is just me ruminating and, and guessing, to be honest. Um, that they maybe ended up taking a lot of fans because Ruby at the end of the day is, is a city today with a population of just about 100,000 or more. So it's not a, not a big city. I mean, it's it's certainly a lot smaller than, than Glasgow and probably Dublin as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Dublin has a million, yeah. So um, 
Yeah, big, big time. I mean, let's just have a little look at Lille. Uh, obviously, not in our remake, because Lille aren't a forgotten club, of course. But let's just see what they were like in the 1930s and 1940s, because you may be onto something there. Um, if, yeah, again, um, just just um, a, a little bit of conjecture and, and just, just, you know, obviously just talking about it and, and ruminating about it, really. But with it being so close to Lille, I don't think it's out with the realms of possibility that they took some of their fans off them if they began to get more successful. But again, you know, that's just me thinking on it. I yeah, don't know it, could, it could be. Uh, give me two seconds. Lille, as I said, uh, quite, a, quite a popular club as we know of today. Um, no, not really. Well, to be fair, Lille uh, won the French League, their first French League in 1945-46, just mm-hmm. after the war ended. They've only won it four times. Uh, they come, come runner-up six times. Um, they have um, the Coupe de France. They've won six times again in the forties, and uh, they actually won it three times in a row in the forties. So maybe, you know, maybe that was a, a bit of a blow to Roubaix, um, in the forties. So Lille, nineteen forty-five, done the double. Yeah, but look, we'll, we'll jot those down as two points for us to research, and we can get the bloggers on to uh, Charles Griffiths, and if there's any links between. Uh, Ruby maybe losing support and, and starting to become less successful and the rise of, of uh, Leo um, at the same time with it being in, in such close proximity to it. Again, I, d- I don't think it's out with the realms of possibility, but obviously I'm, I'm not an expert or, or historian of French football by any means. So, uh, you know, could just be... For instance, yeah, it could be. Um, I mean, Leo were founded in... Leo were actually founded in 1944, so literally the year after the year they were founded, they won the double. So this seems to be a bit of a thing <laughs> where clubs in France just get created and they suddenly win things straight away. Um now yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, listen, we'll we'll take a note of that because I I think those are those are two really um really interesting points. Um just so that we can have a look at them. Um Charles Griffiths, especially, I want to know more about this guy. I think he sounds like a really fascinating character. Uh, I want to know how he played his entire career in England, but then ended up managing a German team. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, just just quite quite interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at the fact that he managed Excelsior and only started managing them in 1933 um, when they became professional. So was he a money man? <laughs> Did he <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah, that's that me again thinking... Uh, no basis whatsoever on just kind of connecting the dots like yourself but uh, definitely a character that we definitely look into and when we have the blog up and running it's definitely one uh, one post that we will probably have done uh, soon enough but um, I suppose that's it from Excelsior there's, there's not much really else to tell other than you know they won the Coupe de France in their first year of uh, being a professional side and then done nothing else but merge and try to survive up until yeah. uh, 1995 um, and then they difficult to, to research and, and find much information about out with that. Um, so definitely a forgotten club, I think they're definitely definitely epitomize a real forgotten football club because they, they, as you said, there's not much on them, even on the internet and stuff like that. Um, but of course, our listeners or anybody who follows on Twitter, um, if you know more about them, please do let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Please get in touch. Um, especially if we have any French listeners, if you could get in touch with us and uh, you know, if you know the history of, of football in France, and please do because we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear more about this team. Uh it was a little bit tough for us to research, as I said. Um, but you know, we've got our research points and we're gonna start digging into them a bit more. But for our second team 
for this week's episode. We are going to be heading about 123 kilometers east, mm. west, sorry. <laughs> that would take you into Belgium. We're going to be heading 123 kilometers west to the port of Calais, obviously famous as a, a crossing point between uh, Dover across the English Channel and, and into France. Uh, obviously, you know, quite well known at, at the moment for um, being a port town. There's a lot that goes on there. I think it's, it's am I right in saying it's in Brittany? Um, it is, I think it is, yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, it's just based in Cali. Uh, I'm yeah. not, not yeah. too, uh, like I know Normandy, Brittany, um, not really too uh, up to date with my geography in France in, in regards to provinces. Um, obviously, I know the, the football clubs and, and the cities and stuff like that. Um, but I'd imagine maybe maybe you are in Brittany. Uh, let's have a little yeah. quick look. Um, okay, no, so it's in Normandy. Normandy, there we go. So I was I was nearly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, close enough. Uh, again, look, we're not going to butcher the names. We'll butcher the locations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, um. Yeah, so obviously it's, it's quite well known as being a port city in Normandy and as a crossing point to Dover. Obviously, within the last sort of 10 years or so, there's been some negativity around Calais. Obviously, there's a very large refugee camp there. Um, and, you know, obviously that's not fine. That's not the negative part of it. It's the negativity that other people place on that with um, with their views on, on immigration, etc. So not really known as a place where... A football team would be found. It's certainly not a place I've ever associated with football or, or ever heard of a team coming from. Phil, what about you? Um, no, to be honest, uh, obviously we know we, we know the big teams in France. We know obviously PSG and Paris, Lyon. Um, you know, you have Marseille down the south, Monaco, of course, uh, Nice, Lille, oh, as we just spoke about. Um, as well, you could probably say, st- well, uh, historically, Bordeaux. Yeah. They're in Division 2, our League 2 now, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're building their way back up after the game. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Saint-Étienne, the second most successful club in France. They're playing in Liga 2 at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Toulouse, who I think won the Liga 1 uh, only recently. You have Lens, who regularly play in Europe. Um, you know, you, you, have, you have a good few, few clubs there. All spread out across France, to be fair. Um, Strasbourg are another one, a, a team that I, I, I like myself. I've actually been to Strasbourg, a lovely city. Um, so Calais is not exactly one that would stand out to people uh, who aren't huge French football fans, to be fair. No, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you. And I think that's the thing. I don't know if Calais has ever had any team represent them further down the leagues because I know after uh, Liga 2, the French leagues split into the national. Yeah. Um, and I I think the national I think the top tier of the national divisions is spread out across the country and then the tiers below it are regionalized. Could be completely wrong about that. I think that's how it works. But I can't think of Cali ever having a team above the national. Again though, I could be wrong. So no. why don't you tell us about Cali at RUFC then? Yeah, so Cali first of all the thing that stood out to me was um now there's obviously a big story with Cali if if everybody you know, French football people know the big story behind that, and we will talk about that now in a minute. Um, but the, the, the standout thing was, have you seen their crest, Rory? I have, yeah. It's um, probably the most interesting crest next to Joker that I've seen. Uh, yeah. Just, well, we'll put a follow up on, on Twitter once you've listened uh, to the episode. But just so you know, I'll try and describe it to you now. It's like a kind of little 90s retro looking football 
with a big tuft of red hair, two big boots, and he's like looking up the way. It's really, really, really unnerving. <laughs> I was going to say it looks like you were already with the tuft of red hair there. <laughs> with the red hair, yeah, okay, fair enough. It's quite um it's not something that you you, you know you'd you'd uh, share with the kids before going to bed. You could probably give them nightmares to be fair. It's it's quite um uh, do you know what he looks like? He looks like you know Tom and Jerry. He looks like Tom, you know the cartoon kind yeah, of. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I'll give you that. It's the eyes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That kind of cartoony look. Um, obviously they were uh, founded in the seventies. Before that, though, we'll just get a little bit into the kind of way back in the history of Cali. So there was actually a club called Cali Racing Union, um, FC, who were obviously based in Cali. Um, they sorry not. Yeah, sorry. Racing Club de Calais, pardon me. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Racing Club de Calais, who were founded in 1902, who were actually in uh, from Calais, of course. Um, they've done okay in the Coupe de France. Uh, you know, they, they got into the last eight in 1922, last 16 and 23, 24, 25, 26, 30. This is what I'm talking about. These kind of smaller clubs, you know, are able to get through the Coupe de France uh, and get to the latter stages. Uh, and these were one. Uh, they even beat um, CASG Paris um, in the second round in 1921, which would have been a big feat because that CASG Paris were quite a big side back then. So already you're, you're kind of getting a feel for that they're a bit of a, a cup team or a cup club I suppose or a cup city um, and they like to cause a bit of an upset um, they then joined the professional ranks in 1933 the same time as Excelsior um, so I assume they played Excelsior in the leagues or, or maybe met each other at some point um, but then they did drop uh, back into the amateur leagues five years later so unlike Excelsior they didn't really last that long uh, this is Racing Club de Calais um, which led them then to merge with another club uh, called Union Sportif um, and the merger of these two local clubs Union Sportif who are from uh, Calais as well uh, they created the club that we're about to talk about now Racing Club um, Calais or Calais or UFC as they're called um, so they were officially started in 1974. Um, I mean, they entered uh, the spotlight, really. Uh, and this is where the big story is. And this is why they're in, in the book, really. Um, the run in 2000, uh, the 2000 edition of Coupa de France um, yes. under Spanish clo- uh, coach Ladislas uh, Lozano. Um, now, this is the the good the fairy tale part with the club was still an amateur side. They were made up of the team was made up of you know teachers, dock workers, office clerks, postmen, engineers, you know just normal blokes who are just basically kicking a ball about. Um, I'm I'm playing for for their club. Uh, Calais, uh, t- they had to go through ten rounds, um, to get to the final, um, and they actually beat Lille. Uh, in in that running, uh, they also beat uh, first division teams racing Strasbourg and Bordeaux uh, on their way to this final. So they didn't get there by luck. They they beat big big teams on their way to the final of the Coupe de France in two thousand. So as you can imagine, this is the equivalent of I don't know. Um, I suppose we use uh, use the Scottish Cup, uh, Rory. So, uh, for Cali to beat Lille, it would probably be the equivalent of when Gretna got to the final. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd say so. I can't think of 
any comparable teams that they could have beaten. Obviously, Gretna was a fairy tale. So if we go back to last season, it was pro- it would probably be on the same level as Darville beating Aberdeen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying Aberdeen are, as, are anywhere near the level of Lille. Um, as we've seen tonight, they've just been put out of the Europa League by BK Hacking. But um, comparatively, if, if you want to get a result to compare it, it's, it's probably there or thereabouts. I mean, Darville are tier six uh, junior football. Cali at the time, it, it would have been considered... Sort of amateur, the the national two league used to be the the French amateur league, um, and then they 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 kind of organised their pyramid a little bit better. So it's it's a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit muddied in that respect. But yeah, I'd probably say comparable to Darvel beating Aberdeen, uh, last season. Well, the the amazing thing about this cup run was is that they played none of their games at home uh, or in their own ground, uh, oh. and they were drawn away to most rounds. And even when they did get. Uh, that far and they were given a home toy they had to actually play at uh, another stadium because the Stade de Felix Buller in Lens uh, due to the issues of their facilities and capacity so that just goes to show how you know the enormous uh, effort that was put in that year uh, to get to the Coupe de, to, uh, Coupe de France final pardon me um, yeah. and there they faced a uh, kind of cup um Cup experts, I suppose you could call them, uh, nonce. And uh, yeah. I only know nonce because they wear bright yellow jerseys. They're quite um, distinctive. Um, they're, they're a decent club in uh, France, to be fair. Yeah, um, they're a very, uh, very historic club as well. Been around for quite some time. We won staples, you'd say, mainstays. Um, and as you said, they, they like a cup run themselves. So. They do, and um, it was Nantes who they met in the final uh, in 2000. Um, Nantes themselves, uh, throughout the history, have actually won the Coupe, uh, the Coupe de France four times, um, and this is one of the times. So the end of the, the fairy tale. Although colleagues did give a good count to themselves, and they were one in the look, and uh, they did take the lead, uh, but unfortunately they lost 2-1 uh, thanks to um, some late winners from Nantes. And to break the hearts and kind of ruin the underdog. Uh, as far as I, in my research, everybody was up for Cali. Uh, everybody except for, you know, obviously Nantes fans. Um, Nantes have gone on to win the Cup one more time since then. Uh, they won it back in 2021 Um, But as I said, they've only won the Cup four times. They've won the Liga one uh, eight times. They've actually won that. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, and actually the last time they won that was actually tw- uh, 2000, 2001. Um, so, you know, they're quite successful side in their own right, but maybe not in the most recent years. Yeah, yeah. Again, kind of historic successes. Um, probably one of those clubs from the 90s, 2000s that you remember always seeing their names about because it had some successes. Moving, really moving into that period of modern football. Yeah, I mean, they did get to the Champions League semi-final in 1995-96, mm. um, which would have been, you know, a purple patch. The 90s would have been a decent time for Nantes, to be fair. Uh, they won the league in 94-95. They won the, the Cup in 98-99. Um, and then, obviously, uh, Champions League semi-final in 95-96. So, uh, by all means, they were a successful side. So, to lose 2-1 to them, uh, Calais, uh, wasn't uh, a bad thing to be honest. Um, I mean that's their big story, you know, beating the likes of Lille, Racing Strasbourg, Bordeaux in their cup run. Um, incredible run. It really put them in the spotlight. A lot of people started taking notice of them. But what I found, and the thing is, and and what could be quite frustrating about these things is that people only pay attention to the fairy tale teams while the fairy tale's happening, yeah. and then once it's over, 
it doesn't really translate into support for them eventually, which can be a real shame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did go on another cup run in 2005, 2006. Um, you know, another credible one. Um, they went through eight rounds this time. So, you know, they're not just going through the, you know, you know, the normal rounds. They're going through the qualifying preliminary rounds and all that sort of stuff, like they did in that to get to the cup point in the last one. They had to go through ten rounds uh, to get there. So that's that's an impressive feat in itself. Um, they did. Um, they recorded a big win against uh, a top division side at the time, Troyes. And Troyes wouldn't be a huge side in France, but they were a top division side or a League One side at the time. So they beat them in their 2005-2006 run. It was ended, though, um, narrowly in the quarterfinals. Can you guess who would beat them, Rory? Uh, It was Nunes. Yeah, yeah. They're starting to develop a bit of a rivalry with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, They they lost to Nunes, so... Um, Nantes are obviously a bit of a thorn in their side or were a thorn in their side um, the club then played their first match in their new stadium the new Stad uh, El, El Puppy I think it's called um, <laughs> that's my best pronunciation ever um, and they lost 4-0 to Laval in the Championnat National which is the third tier uh, of French football um, they were relegated from the Championnat National at the end of 2008-2009, uh, which would have resulted them in playing in the CFA, which is basically the fourth tier. It's kind of a regionalised tier in France. Um, but in 2009, it was announced uh, by the DNCG, which is basically the kind of French Football League Association, kind of. It's like a, a lower league organisation kind of thing. Um, that Cali RUFC had been relegated uh, to the CFA2 due to administrative reasons. So we're already seeing here Calais really, really struggling to uh, kind of cope and kind of uh, live on, which is strange. Uh, but maybe it just shows that a cup run doesn't bring all the wealth and money that maybe people think it does. I think it, it, it it's all it's all relative, isn't it? So if you're far enough down down the pyramid, then the financial boost is good, but it depends how that financial boost is used because the money's always going to run out. So, you know, maybe it was the case that eventually the money just ran out for them. that They'd managed to bank in their cup runs. It was a case they'd used it all up or it hadn't been used properly and they weren't able to get themselves back up. But the, the circumstances around them having to dissolve were really, really strange, you know, being mm-hmm. denied promotion. Um, all of a sudden, the central court are after them. You know, they're giving them administrative relegations and, and all this kind of stuff. There's points deducted from them. Do we actually know anything around what happened to them leading up to the dissolution? Um, I mean, when they got uh, put down to the CFA2, effectively the fifth year, um, they actually were still putting in attendances of around 4,000 people, which is quite decent, you know. Um, you think about, you know, some League of Ireland clubs in the Premier don't get near that amount like and their premier division clubs uh, yeah. so probably they were still putting in uh, you know a few thousand fans um 2010 they did actually win their group um in the cfa2 uh, the group a and um, they won that um but as you said then it kind of spiraled out of control and they, they did uh they, they were denied promotion by the fff obviously the french footballing federation and um, because of administrative decisions and because they weren't able to facilitate higher up levels as we said in that cup run they couldn't even play in their home home pitch because they didn't have the facilities to uh you know host games like that so the fff uh, obviously have strict rules guidelines uh, um 
uh, behind this, and uh, that's why Calais could never really progress. Although it's kind of like a catch twenty two here because obviously they went on that cup run, but they probably didn't get as much money because they weren't getting the gate receipts because they weren't playing at home. And but how oh, can they well. play at home if they can't? Uh, you know, how can they develop their home if they're not getting the money? You know, it's kind of a vicious circle, really. Well, yeah, I, su- I suppose it would be down to the the rules of the Coup de France because there's some rules in some countries where it's split fifty fifty regardless of what it's played. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. If that would be the case in France as well, um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Um, I can't I can't see. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, we 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 can only speculate on that, but it just does seem like a vicious circle that they probably weren't getting the financial rewards that their runs in the cups were were. No, maybe they weren't. Maybe it was squandered. I I don't know. You 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 think though that a club if they were making that much money on cup runs would go right? Well, let's build for the future. Let's get the facilities right because they clearly had the football players. Um, you know, because they were they were playing way out of their means. Um, and and they were competing. Um, so they obviously had that. So why not then just go to your facilities? Um, they did eventually get promotion from the CFA too. Um, in 2013-14, they were promoted to the CFA. Uh, when they were the best runners up in the groups. So again, you're looking at the the kind of French lower leagues. There's kind of different groups and stuff like that. Um, and they got the best runner up. And they went up, but in the 2016-17 season, they finished bottom of the CFA. Uh, again, the fourth tier, I think it is. And uh, they're in yep. Group B, and they were relegated. They had seven points deducted for various uh, reasons. Uh, subsequently, the FFA, FFF gave them an administration, administrative relegation. So basically said, you're in administration, you're relegated. Uh, meaning that they would play the 2017-18 season at regional level uh, at best. Uh, but unfortunately, they decided to dissolve in September 2017. Obviously, it became too much for them. Uh, regional football was not an option and the club that, you know, probably gave France one of its biggest underdog stories in cup football are now sure. around. Yeah, of all the clubs that we've covered, I know some of them have come back, you know, like Beveren, mm. uh, for instance, and a few others. Um, I don't know if, if Kelly RUFC or another team from Kelly actually ended up coming back, but I think they were a team that I'd, I'd actually really like to see a Phoenix club founded for, um, mainly just because of the, the, the underdog story. Obviously, they, they managed to replicate the, the cup run again in, in 2005 or six. Mm. Uh, so they must have been a bit of a cup team to some degree, I suppose. Maybe it was just those two kind of isolated purple patches. Um, but the team I'd quite like to see brought back again, if just to represent the the, the, the city um, and get some football back there. As I said at the start, don't know an awful lot about Cali or the other teams that are there, but it seems like a team that would be that would be quite missed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean. For obvious reasons, they were put into this book because of that cup run uh, back in 2000. Uh, I would have been 10 at the time. I don't recall it, but I have looked back on it. I've, I've seen uh, some of the stuff on YouTube and stuff like that, and it was quite uh, quite a spectacular uh, cup run. Of course, other obviously media outlets uh, were, were kind of covering it. You can imagine if a club done that today. Um, you know, there would be a big, big uh, thing. I think actually recently a club, uh, a club did do it in France, didn't they? Uh, only in the last few years, I think there was a... Yeah, again, I, I think seen something about it on the sweeper when they put it up, but their name escapes me. But you're right, they, they have done it and, and they have done it quite recently. Um, I mean, at the time I would have been four, so I, I don't remember it, but I'll need to go back and, 
uh, look at some YouTube videos and, and footage from the time and look at some of the results. But uh, I'm, I'm sure there has been another couple of clubs from France who have done it recently. There was a, there was a club who done it recently. I can't remember what they were called though. Um, was it Angers? Was it they played 2017? Angers. On I think Gilles. they got to on the Gilles. final and they lost to PSG 1-0. Mm, on Gilles. I uh, don't know, maybe. It is, it is. It was Angers. Angers uh, got... Uh, now, Angers are a League 1 side, so I suppose that's actually yeah. not uh, a huge kind of uh, thing. Um, but I remember they got to the final in 2017. Um, I could have swore there was one more recent in the Coupe de France. There was a kind of fairy tale story like that. Um. Let me have a look. Yeah, have a, have a dig around and, and see what you can find. Uh, I mean, obviously, just with the way the Coup de France is set up, um, a lot of teams obviously put out uh, B teams sometimes, if you like, as well. They put out the younger players, so it can make it... Don't don't want to take away from the achievements of, of these smaller teams because the, the golfing resources between the teams that they're playing and beating and themselves is huge. Uh, and it's amazing that they're able to overcome them. Ah, it's just like, it I found it. 2017-18, it was the season after a club called uh, Herblitz, uh VF got to the final and played against uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, I got you the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2018 it was. Uh, Le Herblitz, who aren't exactly, um, you know, a, a well-renowned name in French football. Um, I think what league did they play in at the moment? They're in National 2 Group D. Oh wow! Uh, at the so yeah, there that there was uh, one more recent uh, than that. There's, there's another couple of them to be fair, but that's the one that I was thinking of. They got to the final, they lost to PSG in the final. Um, I do remember that. Yeah, I mean, uh, a club called Evian in 2013 got to the Coupe de France final. Uh, you have LB Chateau in 2004. Yeah, one um, of that is um, Chateau also shares its name with a town just outside of Hamilton in Scotland. It's about twenty minutes from me, um. So there was a lot of people went over to watch that. Um, I remember there was a story about it a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, US Crevelli in two thousand and twelve, they got to the final. So this is what I'm talking about. The the Coupe de France is quite um, you know, it's 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 an open draw for clubs to get to that final. Um, you know, lower lower league clubs that you know you mightn't have heard of. Um, you know, uh, names. They're another one. I suppose they're more more well known. They've gotten to three uh, finals. Um, US Crevelli actually got to another final in nineteen thirty two. Um, but I I assume they were probably a, a a bigger club back then. I don't actually know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, with with Cali uh, with a cup run, there wasn't a huge amount of information on them, which made it quite frustrating. And I can yeah. understand that if they spent a lot of their time in the lower tiers of France and, and playing uh, amateur level in in France and air quotes, if you want to say that. Um, so you know it's a little bit understandable but you'd think there'd be a bit more on them and there probably is it's just a case that we need to do a little bit more digging so that's what we'll need to do yeah yeah big time I mean that PSG against uh, Le Herbrius, uh VF PSG only won 2-0 that game mm-hmm. Um, so you know that that was uh, quite uh, um, Lo Celso you know Spurs lad he actually scored for PSG and uh, Nedison Cavani scored a penalty in the 74th minute Cavani's um, playing a blocker now yeah, wow. yeah. And there was actually 73,000 people at that game. Not um, bad. So not bad for, for a little, uh, the little side of uh, Le Hiber, 
if I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, I do apologise. They were actually a club, uh, their, their squad that day were just all French, um, except for oh. one lad who was Cameroonian, um, Rodrigo Bongo Gil. Uh, he he played basically uh, the only non-French national on that side. Whereas then you look at the PSG side, you have Danny Alves, Thiago Silva, uh, Edison Cavani, Di Maria, Kylian Mbappe, yeah, Thiago Mata. I mean, so again, huge, huge uh, kind of achievement in the lower leagues. But again, it just goes to show the Coupe de France uh, is quite open. Uh, not to take away from Cali's uh, um, achievement, because what they did in the 10 rounds and the clubs they beat uh, with the facilities and the tools that they had at disposal, uh, huge, huge achievement. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's what it's what put them in the spotlight. And I think it's what it's kind of setting them apart from other clubs in the book, is it? Because there's, there's clubs that we've covered that have massive stories and massive tales around them. Mm-hmm. There's clubs that we've covered that are really, really obscure, like uh, Barra Football Club and the, the, the club from Brazil um, and, and a couple others. Whereas Cali, if it wasn't for the cup run, would have been really obscure because we would have struggled to find anything on them, you know? So it's just it just goes to show you how one sort of fairy tale run like this and, and how the media promote that and how other people see that. It goes to show how far that can actually go for you if you're a small club or a smaller club. Sorry, I should say. I don't, I don't want to sound as if it was being uh, venomous or, or vitriolic there. What it, what it also shows is, is that, you know, we talked, you said at the start of the, the show, um, France are one of the big five. Yet the two clubs that we covered here from France aren't necessarily the biggest clubs that have been covered in the book. If anything, they're one, they're two of the shortest stories in the book. Uh, yet they come from probably one of the biggest footballing nations uh, in the world. Yeah. So it just yeah. goes to show, um, you know, you don't have to be from France, Germany, England, Portugal, um, or whatever, uh, Italy. They're the big five, ready and Spain, um, to yeah. to be to be you know, uh, you know remembered as a football club and I think uh, Calais and Excelsior deserve their kind of moment um, I mean there's only there's only to my record or my knowledge 58 clubs in France who have ever gone dissolved or defunct um, so that's interesting enough um, seeing I wonder as a, though know, if it's like what we said at the start of the show with Excelsior I wonder if it's because so many mergers with Cali as well, yeah, because of the mergers, because teams would merge to survive basically and to pull the resources. So I wonder if maybe that's got something to do with it, because I would I would expect there to be way more than fifty eight, mm-hmm. um, given the size of the country. But yeah, I mean, if if the mergers thing, what has to do with that? Maybe something to do with the war as well. You know, there could be something around that. It's something that we'll need to do or digging into. It's, it's something yeah. I've been quite interested in for a while. So, um, we'll get that down as a point to research so we can get some stuff up on the blog about it. Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, we are going to do features in different countries like we've done with Ireland, with Wales, and we have features coming up with, for different nations. So we will definitely do a feature on French football and probably go into more individual clubs. But for now, they're the two clubs in France that are in the book. Um, yep. If you want to read more or if you want to read about it, obviously you can buy the book uh, or you can look into it yourself um, and let us know what you find out or what you already know, because, you know, we don't know everything here. <laughs> we certainly don't and we like to hear from you guys as well so that we can have chats and conversations about it had a lot of them today actually with with different people from around the world and they've been very helpful so we'll be getting on uh, we'll be getting those guys on for for some episodes soon but as phil said uh please have a read you know if there's stuff that you didn't know let us know the stuff that you did know let us know if the stuff that you know that we don't then please do let us know because we do really appreciate it um obviously 
this is, I think, the second last episode that we're going to be doing before we cover two clubs. So we'll have mm-hmm. one more two club episode after, not directly after this, just to do after this. And then the rest are just going to be straight up interviews. So, you know, it's going to be quite intense and we're going to be talking with a lot of different people on the things that they know around the clubs. Some of them are even more obscure than the clubs that we've we've touched on today. Um, if if really you, the, yeah, sorry. even if you could do that, because we've covered a few obscure clubs. But as we mentioned, I think we mentioned in the last three episodes, there's the, that one club that we're really looking forward to doing. Um, yes, yes. Uh, club from Turkey. Yeah. That's all we'll say. Um, there's another few as well. The the club from Lebanon, I'm quite excited to do just because it's a, a footballing nation that not a lot of people really think about. Yeah. Um. And yeah, we've got loads of stuff planned. So I think for tonight, this has actually been one of our shortest episodes recently, which is mad to think because that's still like an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been recording on, but with both these clubs, you know, they're, they're interesting and, and they have different stories around them, but uh, they were quite short chapters. There's not a huge amount on them. So we thought we'd just give a quick short episode um, just to, uh, you know, obviously put out to your guys and, and keep the run going. And obviously so that we can talk about the clubs as well and, and try and reach out to a few more people. Um, now, as usual, you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Spotify, Apple, WordPress, LinkedIn, and you can now also find us on YouTube. Uh, we launched the Forgotten Football Club's YouTube channel earlier on this week, uh, Loaded, uploaded our first video to it with the help of RIJK Sports, who you've probably seen we have been tagging on everything uh, that we put up on Twitter. Uh, he's a fantastic videographer. Uh, really helpful with editing obviously I did the voiceover really wasn't impressed with it I don't like listening to my own voice um, but it's it's been fantastic so far and the first episode focused on Victor Krakow who was a Shakhtar Donetsk legend um, and he went from playing through the collapse of the Soviet Union to Europe and became a bit of a journeyman as well so please go and check that out on YouTube we'll be uploading our next video hopefully soon once we decide what we're going to be doing and if anyone wants to get involved or help out with that then please do otherwise you can follow us on all of our socials please get in touch if you have any questions or want us to cover an episode or just want to chat about football history we're always open to doing that Phil anything that you want to add I'm going to take a breath after that <laughs> no no uh, I think you covered it all uh, yeah delighted to be launching the YouTube channel um, with, with Chris um, who who is uh, does unbelievable work and, and basically is why he's joined the team um and his profile will be out soon enough. We'll, we'll get get people to get to know him as well. Uh, he does great individual work as well. Um, but uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing what he produces with some of the videos that we have uh, planned. Uh, as well, the blog that's been down for the last two weeks. We are working on it. Uh, it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be way better than it was. It was kind of hard to navigate put it that way and uh, so we want to try and make it as easy as possible on the eye uh, and for you just to have you know quick reads of all your favorite um uh you know bloggers uh that, that are on the team and uh, to make it easier for them to produce their work and content but uh, we will be putting all that sort of stuff up in the next few weeks but uh, i think that's it really Rory, yeah yeah i, th- I think you um, yeah, you obviously touched on the blog there. It was something I wanted to talk about as well. So thank you for picking that up. We are in the process of rebuilding the blog, as Phil said. So please be patient while we do that. Uh, but if you have any contributions you want to make, then, then please send them in and we will make sure they get published when it's ready to go again. But for now, we'll sign off for the evening. Phil, say goodbye to everyone. Bye, everyone. And we'll see you all again for an episode next week. Goodbye.